This morning's text comes from Acts chapter 4, verses 13 through 22. Now when they saw the boldness of Peter and John, and perceived that they were uneducated common men, they were astonished, and they recognized that they had been with Jesus. But seeing the man who was healed standing beside them, they had nothing to say in opposition. But when they had commanded them to leave the council, they conferred with one another, saying, What shall we do with these men? For that a notable sign had been performed through them is evident to all the inhabitants of Jerusalem, and we cannot deny it. But in order that it may spread no further among the people, let us warn them to speak no more to anyone in this name. So they called them and charged them not to speak or teach at all in the name of Jesus. But Peter and John answered them, Whether it is right in the sight of God to listen to you rather than to God, you must judge. For we cannot but speak of what we have seen and heard. And when they had further threatened them, they let them go, finding no way to punish them because of the people. For all were praising God for what had happened. For the man on whom this sign of healing was performed was more than 40 years old. Please join me as we pray God's blessing over the teaching of his word. Father, I thank you for today. I thank you for all that you have done in our lives. God, I pray that as we head into the teaching of your word now, that we would ready our hearts, that we would prepare our minds to hear what you would have for us. God, that we would be open to changing, that we'd be open to your word, and that as Pastor Tommy comes, that you would, in your Holy Spirit, just bless him and strengthen him, and that you would guide as he teaches, and Father, that you would guide our hearts as we listen. I pray all these things in the name of Jesus. Amen. So we're, we're several chapters into the story of the birth of the church that's recorded in the book of Acts. Um, and, and the core discovery, I think, that's reflected in the title of our series is when a group of people uh, empowered by the Holy Spirit come together in one accord, they can form this unstoppable movement, this unstoppable church that impacts and changes the world around them. Um, as we've walked through this, there, there are elements, there are characteristics, there, there are aspects of this, this gathered people, this, this, this brought together, called out individuals that have allowed them, that have empowered them, that have positioned them to be in this place of being unstoppable, of being this movement that changes and transforms the world around them. To this point, the very opening, the very dawning of the church, you see incredible impact already. You see thousands having come to Christ. You see people being healed. You see this incredible move of God already at the very beginning. And as I say, what we've discovered is that there are certain characteristics, there, there, there's certain qualities of these gathered people that allow for this to take place. In the very beginning, in chapter 1, we see how they were in one accord. That, that phrasing is really deep, that, that they had a singular mind, they had a singular focus, they had a singular heart. 
that nobody was there for their own ideas, their own desires, their own wants, but that the glory of Jesus Christ would be seen. They were in one accord. And then it says that they were in one accord and they were in prayer. And the phrasing there is even, is even beyond that. It is, it is the idea of, it, it, it said, a, an obstinate, constant prayer. That they were stubborn in their prayer life. That they were saying, this is what we do. We have to pray. We have to seek. We have to discover God in a deep way. Chapter 2, it's, it, it shows that they were, they were baptized in the Holy Spirit, that the Holy Spirit came upon them in a real way. And, and each of these qualities, each of these characteristics of their lives showed that, that they were able to make a difference because they poured into the streets. They, they declared the glory of Jesus Christ, and 5,000 people came to know Jesus that day. Last week, we discovered that they were, they were motivated as, as advocates for Christ, that they so believed in Him, that they, they so believed He was the hope, that He was the answer, that there was no way they couldn't share Jesus. These are the qualities, these are the characteristics that we've discovered so far that make a church unstoppable, make a church be able to accomplish that which God intends for them. And today's text is much the same. There is this significant experience described here that positioned the church to have a deep impact. I want you to look at what was, look at what stumped the Sadducees in their opposition to the church. As you, if you read last week, if you read earlier up in the chapter, it, it basically describes the Sadducees as being irritated or annoyed by these people, annoyed by these guys going out there and preaching. And so, so they're in this place, and they, they want to stop it. They've got to figure out a way to stop it. But when you read this, there's something that, that, that stood in the way of their opposition that caused them to not be able to oppose them the way they wanted. But seeing the man who was healed standing be beside them, they had nothing to say in opposition. And then again it says, they let them go, finding no way to punish them because of the people. For all were praising God for what had happened. For the man on whom this sign of healing was performed was more than 40 years. When we read these two what was it in the story that made them unstoppable? What was it in the story that prevented the Sadducees from containing the expansion of the church? I, have, you guys ever, have you guys ever seen, maybe in a magazine, uh, a lot of times it's in fitness magazines, have you ever seen the advertisements of before and after? You ever seen those things, Right? So you open up, and it's a fitness magazine, and they're selling some product or whatever, and there's a picture of this guy, and he just looks like the biggest schlub in the world, right? Or that maybe there's this gal, and, and, and they, they, like, no makeup, hairs everywhere, right? And they take a picture of him, and they're always, like, you know, like, stick their belly out as far as they can, and it's always bad angles, the shadows are all bad, right? And then all of a sudden, the next one, after... And it's like perfect makeup, their hair is perfect, and they got the, they're just the right outfit, right? What, what, is, what, are they, what are they trying to use to sell this? What are they trying to use to sell their product? It's a changed life, right? It, they're, they're trying to use the power of a changed life to convince people that this product is better, that this product will make the difference. The reality is, when we look at this, when we look at this story, we see the power of a changed life. In, in my life, 
On a regular basis, I get an illustration of the power of a changed life when I run into people here in Milwaukee all the time. Uh, my parents grew up here in the city of Milwaukee. I grew up in the city of Milwaukee. My parents were born and raised here. They lived here their entire lives. And my dad particularly grew up on the east side of Milwaukee in the old Italian neighborhoods. And when, when he was a kid, um, you know, early teens and that, uh, he didn't always run with the best, best crowd. I mean, other than Ron. Right, Ron? Uh, he didn't always run with the, with the best crowd. Um, uh, he was, he was, he's actually friends with, with uh, kids whose parents were members of organized crime. He, uh, he was, he was, you get to, I have these old videos of my dad with his cigarettes rolled up in his sleeves. Um, and, uh, and he was, a, he was a bit of a, of a tough guy. Um, the, you could I've heard stories after stories after stories of my dad getting in fights. Um, and uh, usually he was dragged into those fights by certain friends. And, uh, and uh, he, uh, he wasn't exactly one of these guys that you'd look at and say was like a good Christian guy, right? Um, I, in fact, this was such his reputation that to this day when I go up on the east side and I run into one of the old timers that knew my dad, with Without exception, they will come up to me and they'll get 12 inches from my face and they will stick their finger in my face and they will say, your dad was the toughest son of a gun on the east side and he could kick anybody's butt in the neighborhood. And they usually didn't say gun or butt. Um, but there's, a, there, but there's another common occurrence that takes place for me when I run into people. Often I meet people who got to know my dad in his 30s or later. Um, and all those people have the same description of my dad, and it's quite different than the first description. A great example of this um, was when I had the opportunity to meet this African-American woman who happened to be a police officer. I was over at um, Matt and TJ's house. Matt's a police officer and member of our congregation. And quite often, they'll have get-togethers there, and there'll be cops there. And uh, when this gal found out that who my dad was, she pulled me to the side, and she walked up to me, and she said, I want you to know your dad was one of the sweetest men I've ever known. Um, she said, uh, I don't think I would have made it through my rookie year except that your dad took me under his wing cared for me, encouraged me, looked out for me, and I owe him a great, a great debt. Um, this is a description that I hear all the time. Those who knew him back in the day say he was the toughest son of a gun they ever met. And those who met him after 30 say he was the sweetest man they ever knew. Do you know what happened? In my dad's early 30s, he gave his life uncompromisingly to Jesus. He was set free from alcoholism. His heart was changed. Old things passed away, and all things became new. To this day, I'm given the constant reminder of the power of a changed life. The apostles were empowered to challenge the Sadducees. They were emboldened to speak the word of God because of the power of of a changed life. What's the declaration? But seeing the man who was healed beside them, 
They had nothing to say in opposition. It was the, the power of God to change lives that was central to the mission, so that was central to the purpose of the church. That those who were able to stand there looked and saw that God did something. That the power of God transformed them. And as a result, there was no way they could stand up and say, it's not real. There was no way they could stand up and say, it's not true. It was the power of a changed life by the hand of God that allowed them to be that unstoppable movement in that day. I wanted to highlight this this morning because... I think it is important for us to never lose sight of the work that God has done to change our lives. And I think it is important for us to never lose sight of the power of God to change lives as a part of our mission, as a part of the mission of the church. At the core of the work of Jesus Christ is the reality and the ongoing reality that Jesus Christ, through the power of the Holy Spirit, changes lives, that he transforms people, that he makes a difference, and it has been seen that difference, it's been seen the testimony of the power of God, that the church is empowered to move forward and make a difference in its world. This reality is what helps empower the church to be the church. There are two sides of this that I just mentioned that I want to expound on. The first is is the importance of maintaining sight of the work that Christ has done to change our lives. Look at your life. For any one of us who, who stepped into this moment and stepped into this place in which we understood Jesus in a new way, in which we understood who he was, in which we gave our life entirely and completely to him, we can point to moments in which he's met us. In which, he's, in which he's touched us, in which he's changed us. And too often, we in this place lose sight of that. What I've discovered in all these years of being a Christian is we are far more like the Israelites in the desert than we like to admit. I mean, you guys remember that story, right? Here's the Israelites. The Israelites are in a very, very bad way, right? They're slaves. They're being beaten. They're being used. They're being separated. All the things, all the bad things you think about slavery, they were enduring. And so, and so what happens is God brings Moses and begins to do the miraculous, begins to bring about a change, a profound change by his power. You guys have all seen the movie The Ten Commandments, right? So all the plagues come in and the water turns to blood and, and you got lice and you got flies and you got all the stuff and then ultimately they, the firstborn are killed and Pharaoh finally says, you guys are free. Well, look at what God did. And they're excited and they're, and they're, and they're happy and they're singing and they're dancing as they go, they go out, of, out of Egypt because they're finally free. And that lasts for, I don't know, about seven minutes. Because in seven minutes, they come to the Red Sea, and it's there, and they all start moaning and whining. You brought us out here to die. What's wrong with you, God? And God hears this and does the exact opposite of what I would do. Because what I would have done is expanded the Red Sea and drowned them all so I don't have to hear them whine anymore. 
But what God did is he parted the sea. They went across on dry land. They got to the other side. He collapsed the Red Sea on all their enemies and drowned them. And you know what they did? They danced and they praised him and they sang songs to him. And it was wonderful and great for like 12 minutes. And then they turned around and they said, well, well but we're in the desert. We got nothing to eat. God, why did you bring us out here to die? In Egypt, and this is honest to goodness, you can see this in the Bible. They, they go, at least in Egypt we had leeks. Leeks. You're in slavery, and you're, you're opining about the leeks back there. And then God answers them again. So often we read that story and we think, what a bunch of idiots. But the reality is we do the same thing. God meets us, and God meets us, and God touches us, and God provides for us. And so many times, whether it is that, that God brings the right person into our, into our lives at the right moment, or, 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 or maybe it's that God provides the financial need that we have, or even sometimes God brings healing into our lives. God is there for us, and we rejoice, and we come to our brothers and sisters in Christ, and we say, oh, God did this, and God did that. And then all of a sudden, we get two or three months down the road, and something happens, and we're all like, oh, God, where are you? God, why have you forsaken me? This is what we do too often, and as a result, what we do is we lose sight of the power of God constantly at work in our lives, changing us and moving in us. We need to do, it's really interesting, when you read the story of the Israelites, quite often you see that God directs them to take stones and pile them up. So when God does something, like when he parted the Jordan, he had them take big rocks and pile them up. You know why they do that? Because he wants them to create a monument to the remembrance of what God did for them. I think it would, it would serve us well if we would begin to pile some rocks every so often and be reminded consistently about how God is that God who has changed our lives. God is that God who has met our needs. God is that God. Even when we're in the desert place sometimes, he is still that God. And I want you guys to be reminded of the God who changes your life. The other side of this that I don't want us to lose sight of is the power of God to change other people's lives. And what I mean by this is we, we get into this expression of Christian identity that embraces almost a silent God. Honestly, it's almost an, an impotent God. We, we see Christianity as simply as a way of life. Like it is, it is a set of rules. It is, it is, a, it is a, uh, a, doc, a list of doctrines. And this is how we live our lives. And we think it's a good way to live our lives. And you guys are going to live your lives this way. We're going to live our lives that way. I think our way of living our lives will be better than your way of living your lives. You guys should live your lives the way we live our lives. And we see Christianity simply as this, as this means of, of how we structure our lives, how we function in this world. Um, but we forget that we serve a living God. We forget that we serve a God that works His power to do what needs to be done. That it is not simply a list of rules or, or a list of laws that we follow after, but we serve a living God who is active and powerful to move in our lives and to move in the lives of people around us. The mission of the church is to bring a life-changing God to those who need a life-changing God. Listen, the church is not just a group of people who ascribe to the same set of beliefs. 
It is, it is called out ones who have been changed by the power of God and believe that God is still changing people by his power. We believe in the message of the church because we believe in the power of God to change lives and change people's destinies. God is greater than a set of rules. He is an active and living God. And the reason why I get up every Sunday and preach the word of God, the reason why I commit my life to the message of the church, the reason why I'm involved in this is because I believe in a life-changing God. I believe that when there are those who are hurting, God can heal them. When there are those who are broken, God can put them back together. I stand up and say this not because I simply believe and am convinced of a set of rules, but because I know of an active God who is changing the lives of people, and I see people all around me who desperately need their lives changed. The power of God to change lives is an important belief that we have to hang on to and reflect upon if we're going to be the church that he's called us to be. The lack of focus on the powerful work of God to change lives robs us of the reality of what he really does, of what he desires to do, what he is continuing to do. And I think it is important for us to focus our eyes on the many things that he does and is continuing to do. There are three foundational works of God that bring about a transformed life, specifically that I want to highlight this morning because I think too often they get forgotten. And as a result, too many of us are robbed of the power of a changed life. The first thing I want to, re- re- I want to, I want to refocus our attention on is that God is a healing God. That God still heals. That God is a healing God. We need to understand something. The testimony that propelled the apostles here in Acts 4 is not so distant a testimony that we should discount it. The, 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 The normal thing for us to do is we read this story. We read this story and we go... Oh, yeah, yeah, that's cool. He, he, they healed this guy. That's really a great story. But, you know, that was 2,000 years ago. I don't see that kind of thing happening. And we, and we discount this. We, 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 don't, we don't identify with it. I mean, the story we're reading here is that story. A lot of you guys have probably heard it. You've heard the phrase. What ends up happening is they're walking, and they're, that, uh, uh, Peter and John are walking, and there's a, there's a crippled man at the gate, and they come up to the gate, and he's begging there. And he looks at them, and he's begging for money. And this whole beautiful phraseology, right? What, is they, what do they say? They say, silver and gold, I have none, but what I have, I give to you. Rise and be healed. How many of you, even in, in the recounting of that, in, in the hearing of the story, is there's a little bit of you as a Christian, you go, woo, that's good stuff. That's really good stuff. I, that sounds great. That's awesome. But we distance ourselves, even in that, we distance ourselves from that event and we say, that's a great story, that's a great occurrence. But how many of you are going to any gates around the city and finding somebody who needs to be healed and and, and saying, silver and gold I have none, but what I have I give to you, and you have the expectation of them being healed? We don't. 
We have this mental assent to the idea that in the scriptures that he is healed, but we distance ourselves too much from that. Because we say it was 2,000 years ago in that time and in that place. What if I come to you and I tell you the story of the Rwandan pastor that I met in Rwanda just this last year, who had, who had been diagnosed with cancer. And when they told him he had cancer in his hip that was eating away at, at the bones in his hip, he went, to his, he went to his church and they laid hands on him and they prayed for him. And he went to the doctor and he told the doctor, the cancer's gone. And the doctor said, well, no, that's not how it works. And he says, do a scan. And they went in and they looked and the cancer was completely gone. And he was having trouble because the cancer had eaten away portions of the bone in his hip. And he needed to do a hip replacement. And the doctors looked and said, well, we can't do a hip replacement because so much of the bone is gone that we can't attach anything to it. And so he went back to his prayer meeting and they laid hands on him and they prayed for him. And he went back to the doctor and he says, there's bone there. And the doctor said, no, that's not, that's not how it works. And he says, do a scan. They did a scan and sure enough, the bone had grown back and they were able to do a hip replacement. Now, for some of us, you hear that story and you say, oh, yeah, yeah, I've heard stories of that happening in Africa, and I've heard stories of that happening far off. And we disconnect ourselves from the reality that we truly believe that God is healing today and in this place. Well, what if I tell you the story of my wife's brother? The story of my wife's brother who had received a, a, a blood infection that had, was surging throughout his entire body in which they said if he hadn't received treatment within 20, if you don't receive treatment with this disease within 24 hours, the odds of surviving are less than 30%. And almost 100% of the people who have this disease will end up with, with parts of their body amputated. A, a story in which Troy was in the hospital room and gangrene had begun to set in and was working its way up his, his extremities. And my wife and her, and her parents stood in that room and they began to pray for the healing. A story in which the, 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 the next hospital room over, the people in there would say, I know when it was that Troy was healed because this entire place shook and we heard the winds rushing through and he was healed. And today Troy is 100% whole. He's healthier than you and I. The gangrene started to recede. That doesn't happen. Some of you say, well, I don't know that person. I've never, I've never been there. Well, that's a story you would tell. Well, how about I tell you the story of Tom, who usually sits right there in first service, who will tell you over and over again how when he, was, he had, a, he had, a, he had a, a spine injury in which the doctor said, we're going to have to fuse your spine. And he was sitting here on a Sunday morning in the middle of the message, and he called out to Jesus Christ, and he'll tell the story of how he felt this warmth come all over him. And the next week he went to the doctor, and the doctor said, oh, it looks like they did a good job on your surgery. And he said, no, they didn't because I was healed in church on Sunday morning. Or the story of Bob, who usually sits over here, who's a part of my men's group, who was in the hospital with an enlarged heart, and he was on the table, and they opened him up, and his, and his, and his heart had shrunk back to the right size after people prayed for him. That doesn't happen. And they put on his file, it's a miracle. I'm telling you, God still heals. The beauty and the glory of God is revealed in the changed lives as he heals people. We have got to come to this place in our lives where we believe in that powerful God to change the lives of people for his glory and for his testimony. God is a God that heals for the purpose of edifying the body, for the, for the purpose of showing forth the beauty of Christ. 
You look at Paul's message to the church in 1 Corinthians chapter 12. And he speaks about the motivation of the Holy Spirit to be manifested so that God's church may be lifted up and God's name may be glorified. To each is given the manifestation of the Spirit for the common good. For to one is given through the Spirit the utterance of wisdom, and to another the utterance of knowledge according to the same Spirit. To another faith by the Spirit. To another gifts of healing by the one Spirit. Did you hear that last one? What does it say? The gifts of healing by the Spirit. Charismata iama is literally translated. He gives for the edification and the building up of the church gifts of healings. God is still in the healing business because he is still in the edification of the church business. Does everyone get healed every time? No. It doesn't happen. It doesn't happen every single time. But I'm telling you, God, in his, for his purposes and for his glory, is healing people so that they may stand up and say, look at how my God changes lives. So that those who will stand in the way of the moving forward of the church will be able to, won't be able to do it because they will stand and say, there's the guy who was healed by God. What can I say about it? I remember a chorus we used to sing when I was a kid song that I used to sing over my parents as they laid in their hospital beds. I am the God that healeth thee. I am the Lord, your healer. I sent my word and I healed your disease. I am the Lord, your healer. You are the God that healeth me. You are the Lord, my healer. I think maybe that sentiment needs to take root in our hearts again. I believe in a God who heals. I believe that change, that, that change lives testify to the power of God and he brings about that change by healing those who need healing. If you're here this morning, and you are in need of a healing touch of Jesus Christ, we stand together with you as a church believing that God heals. Do you trust in him that much? Do you believe in the power of God to change lives that deeply for his glory and for his purposes? We believe that God heals. Second foundational work of the power of God that brings about a changed life is the work of provision. Not only does God continue to heal, God continues to provide. The fear and doubt that grips us so often as believers stems from our real disbelief in the provision of God. I want you guys to hear that again because I think this is abundantly true and I think it's abundantly true and we don't really accept it. The fear and doubt that grips us so often as believers stems from our real disbelief in the provision of God. You see, the problem is we as Christians give, give, give verbal assent. We, we will say with our mouths, sure, God's our provider. But deep down, we don't believe it. And, I, and the reason I'll say that we don't believe it is because how often are you gripped with fear about tomorrow? How often are you gripped with doubts about tomorrow? 
How often are you in the place saying, I don't know how this is going to happen, I don't know how that's going to happen, and we're gripped by anxiety, and we're gripped by fear, and we end up in this place in which we are so undone because we're worried about the next day. I can confess something to you. As pastor of this church, this is too often me. Too often as pastor of this church, I'm, I, I find myself uh, worried about our provision. I find ourselves concerned about the next step or where we're going to end up or how we're going to be able to do this or not do that. When we have a bad giving month, I get a little anxious. When I'm trying to figure out what we do for, for, for our, our, our building and things don't seem to work out, I get really upset. And that's not good. Because the reality is God has always been faithful to our church. From the very beginning, I can see the hand of God moving and providing in ways that never should have happened. I mean, I can tell you story after story after story after story. And as I say that, I'm not exaggerating in any way, shape, or form. Of When I would sit and talk to Kevin on a Monday and I would say, man, I don't know what we're going to do. We need fill in the blank. And by Thursday, I would get a phone call and get exactly what it was I said to Kevin that we needed. God has always been that faithful. And yet in my life, in this role, in this position... I still am constantly at fear about the next thing or the next thing or the next problem. There are times I sit up on my desk and, I, and, I, and I'm just like beside myself. And reality is what I need to do is start piling up some stones on my desk to remind me of the provision of God. The truth is I don't think I'm alone in this. I think many of us find ourselves in that same place and many of us find ourselves with anxiety and concern and worry about the provision for tomorrow and it's because we truly are, are gripped with a disbelief in the provision of God. There are so many places that God promises his provision. In Matthew chapter 6, Jesus says, Seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and all these things will be added to you. Therefore... Do not be anxious about tomorrow. Or in Luke where Jesus says, Consider the ravens. They neither sow nor reap. They have neither storehouse nor barn. And yet God feeds them. How much more value are you than the birds? Or the writings of Hebrews chapter 13 where it says, Keep your life free from the love of money and be confident with what you have. For he has said, I will never leave you or forsake you, so we can confidently say, the Lord is my helper, I will not fear. What can man do to me? Or Philippians chapter 4, where Paul writes and says, and my God will supply every need of yours according to his riches and glory in Christ Jesus. The most consistent promise we can see all throughout Scripture is He is our provider. He will take care of us. He provides for us when we trust Him, when we believe in Him, when we rest in Him alone. He takes care of us and provides for us. It's not always the, exactly the way we want, exactly in our timing, but when we can rest in Him, there is a peace that passes all understanding that comes over us. And in that, it testifies to the power of God to change lives. Think about that testimony. It's one of the, it's one of the great phrases in all of Scripture. 
a peace that passes all understanding that renews your heart and mind. What exactly is it saying? That the peace of God comes over you in a way that nobody understands. That doesn't make sense to people. That when you're standing there in the midst, and all the circumstances should, should put you in turmoil. All the circumstances should put you in fear. All the cir- it makes total sense that you have anxiety about tomorrow. But you have a peace that passes all understanding. Do you see the testimony of that changed lives of the people around you? When you can look at them and say, you know what, man, I don't know but I know my God. It is finding and believing that your heavenly Father is both sovereign and loving. That your Father is going to take care of you in the way in which He desires to take care of you so that He may be glorified and your good may be found. Our God still provides. And finally, one of my all-time favorites, is that our God still redeems. Our God heals, our God provides, and our God redeems. That word in conjunction with the work of Jesus Christ always moves me to recover, to exchange, to convert. It brings about the image of that which was not valuable, that which was not worthwhile, has now been given value, has been redeemed. I think for each one of us who are honest with ourselves, who look at ourselves in the mirror, we know we are in need of redemption. That in ourselves, what we have, in ourselves, what value do we have? But the promises of God is that Jesus Christ is the Redeemer. That there is no one so far gone, there is no one so far off that He doesn't redeem us. I have seen him redeem the chiefest of sinners. Those whose lives were gripped in sin. Those, those whose lives were defined by the sin in which they engaged. And they were, they were lost and they were broken. And Jesus Christ came in and redeemed their lives. It doesn't matter where you are this morning. It doesn't matter how far gone you think you are. It doesn't matter because Jesus still re- redeems the chiefest of sinners. I've seen him redeem the brokenness of marriages. Marriages that were so far gone that, I stood, that they sat in front of me and they said, I don't even know why we're here. We should just get divorced because I don't love him. He doesn't love me. In fact, we can't stand each other. And you began to watch as that redeeming Jesus changed the hearts and the minds so that they were turned towards each other. And God healed that marriage and he healed that home because our God still redeems. If you're here this morning and, you're, and your marriage is struggling, if your family is struggling, I'm telling you, when you submit yourself to the hand of God, he still redeems. There is no marriage that is so far gone that God cannot redeem it. I've seen him redeem the most deeply of wounded. Those who have faced such abuse and such mistreatment at the hands of their parents, at the hands of those who were closest to them, a a husband or a wife or their children. So broken in spirit, so, so wounded that all of their life was in turmoil. But I have watched Jesus Christ redeem those who are most wounded and those who are most hurting. 
because he is still that redeeming God. It doesn't matter what's taking place in your life, how deep the, 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 the pain is. God can redeem. Turn your life to him. Trust in him. Believe in him. Understand that he is faithful when all others are not. It doesn't matter how far gone you think you are. It doesn't matter how bad you think you are. It doesn't matter how broken you think you are. He is Redeemer. Hear the words of Psalm 78 and embrace them as your declaration. They remembered that God was their rock, the most high God, their Redeemer. I'm calling you to remember He is your rock. I'm calling you to remember He is your Redeemer. Because in redemption, your life will be changed. All of this means that you trust in Him, that you put your whole hope in Him, that you yield yourself to Him. He'll, he wants to heal. He wants to provide. He wants to redeem. And instead of us trusting in ourselves, instead of us holding on to our own desires, instead of us being the, in control of our lives, we submit ourselves and allow Him to transform us. Allow Him to change us so that we may be a testimony to the beauty and the work of Christ. I can't help in this moment but think about a time in my life immediately following my dad's initial diagnosis for cancer. My dad got up one morning, he went into the bathroom, and he collapsed on the floor. And it was later discovered he had a chordoma cancer tumor that had, that had essentially destroyed one of his vertebrae and wrapped itself around his spinal cord. The doctors at that time gave him weeks to live. Um, I rushed down from Minnesota. And as I sat next to him in his hospital bed, I thought about his life's journey about how far he had come. He was a smoker, he was a brawler, he, he was an alcoholic, and so many other things. But that wasn't what he was in that moment. Because his life had been changed. I looked at him and, and, and as I held his hand I said to him, Dad, I'm so proud of you. I, I, I'm so blessed to have you as my dad. Dad, I want you to know, I, I think you're a great man. The way my dad was, he looked at me and he said, Tommy, it's, it's not true. And I told him, I believe that the greatest measure of the character of a man is how far he allows God to change him. And by that standard, Dad, you're a great man. God has the power to change your life. The only thing that stands in the way of his intercession in your life is your unwillingness to yield to his hand. Your unwillingness to yield to the move of him in your life. The, the unwillingness to allow him to move in a way that transforms you. We cling to the things of this world. We cling to our ideas. We cling to our identities. We cling to the things that we think make a way for us. But as we come to this place and humble ourselves, God will heal. God will provide. God will redeem. The greatest testimony to the power of God is a changed life. 
I can go around this room and I could have people stand up and they could, they could testify to the power of God changing their lives. This is the testimony that empowers the church to be the church he's called us to be. If you're here this morning and you're in need of change, humble yourself before him. Open your life before him and have him speak to you and lay down those things that interfere with his ability to change you.